here is kind of just hidden perfectly. Uh, we are we're continuing our series through ethics. We will um, we've we're kind of still in an introductory format. We're we're helping you think about really how to think about ethics, and we looked at first what was called the normative perspective, which is the, the fact that the, the Bible is the rule for the Christian life. And then now we're looking at the situational perspective, which is our environment for making decisions that try to honor God. And, this, and the, the hope is that our decisions result in the end, the result being bringing glory to God, um, really as much glory as we possibly can. I'm, I'm going to pray. Next week, Dave will uh, talk about the existential perspective, which is our hearts, how important that is um, in, in determining what is the right thing to do or the good thing to do. And then we'll get into, we'll use the Ten Commandments really as our baseline for determining what actually is good and bad. Like, What does it mean to um, honor the Lord alone? What does it mean to not murder or steal, and how, what sort of implications does that mean, does that have for our, our lives as Christians? So let me pray, and I'll ask God to help us, and he will. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all these people here who um, want to know you better, want to live lives that glorify you. We're so thankful that you are good and kind to us. Uh, we, we confess, Lord, our need for wisdom as we try to live in a, in a world that is complicated because of sin and suffering, and uh, we're thankful that you have accomplished our salvation fully in Jesus, that he has done all the work, uh, and that we are blessed to receive the benefits and blessings that come from his work, which means that we're free, Lord, we we're free to, to work hard to make good decisions, but we're also free when we, when we make mistakes and sin. Um, help us to, to learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I'm going to review the first, a lot of this is from last week, the situational perspective, and it's asking, what is our environment for making decisions and the goal, and really this is the idea of that sort of, sort of ethics where we think about, it's called teleology. What is the result? A good action is something that has a good result. And so the situational perspective helps us think about a good result from the place in life God might have us. And so what are the circumstances? What are the long-term consequences? And that bottom kind of bold there, the situational perspective focuses primarily but not exclusively on extra biblical data. So we're operating lots of times with the Bible as our authority, but then we recognize we're making decisions lots of times based on things that the Bible doesn't um, speak about. We're using the, the world around us to help make wise decisions. Uh, we talked about how there are certain facts in our situation that influence us. Most importantly, we live in a supernatural world, and God is here with us. So are angels and demons might be and so forth um, when we're trying to make good decisions. We also are, are part of a bigger society. 
I was talking to some people last night, and we were talking about how within cultural, uh, in America we're very individualistic, but there are certain things that come crashing into your world, and you realize that the sins of others, the actions of others have huge consequences on other people that they don't think would have consequences. And one of those things that we were talking about last night is divorce. We, we all know that divorce, even if we aren't the ones being divorced, it impacts us, impacts our relationships with people who get divorced, um, it impacts children, uh, it, it, it has all kinds of things like that. Um, nature, where we live in a world, a physical world, and um, that also means that there are aspects of our bodies and our health and things that might factor into our decision-making as to what could be a good decision or a bad decision. Some people are going to have different opportunities, different genes, things like that, that are going to give them different insights uh, into the decisions they make that, and we make. Talked about natural law a little bit, and we said, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. You, you can't really look at just the world and determine what's good and what's bad just by what's happening in nature because you need a person to be able to tell you what ought to be. But there are some things that seems like naturally, even apart from the Bible, give us a sense of right and wrong. And the big one is um, our conscience. Conscience, everybody has one. And it can be misinformed. There's a great book in the bookstore called Conscience um, that I really recommend, especially when it comes to ethical things. Uh, I mean, there, there's a chapter in there, I think, that deals with uh, in our culture, modesty standards are very different than in Africa. In Africa, female modesty is not that important above the waist. But below the waist, it really is. Really low-cut dresses, really long dresses. And in American Christianity, we'd say, no, those need to be high-cut, but it doesn't have to be quite so short. So who's right and who's wrong? Well, it might depend on your conscience. Yeah. It's called conscience. Um, it's, it should be back there. There's, there's lots of Andy Nacelli and so there, I don't, there, there should be lots, lots of them. Um, when we live has an influence on us. We now have access to information that previous generations didn't, and that impacts the decisions we make. And I'm going to talk about that a lot today because um, the more information we have lots of times, the more complicated things can get. Um, and then we've got these kind of steps that everybody is called to. There's very general callings. We're all called to glorify God. We all want, we're all called to enjoy Him forever. That brings glory to God. There, we're, we're called to advance God's kingdom. Are you not seeing it there, Jim? There, there, was, there was like a dozen copies. I wonder if they all got purchased. Um, we're called to fulfill a great commission. And then there's individual callings. Different people have different gifting, different opportunities and things like that that might impact um, how they make decisions and what's right for, and good for them. That does not mean everything is subjective, but just means different people might have to respond differently uh, in different situations. All right, 
So if the situational perspective is about using extra biblical, that means data that's not in the Bible but outside of it, what do we do with information? And how much information is enough? And how do we filter through it? Well, there has been movements in Christianity that recur from time to time. In America, it has had a pretty heavy influence, which is that we just have kind of a fortress mentality. We know these little truths in the Bible, and then that's all we need to know, which there's some truth in that. But then it's, that means that we shouldn't be investigating science. We shouldn't uh, be involved too much in um, technology, society, things like that. But the, the reality is, is that Christians should delight in searching for answers and being informed. So when you're making decisions and you, and you realize like, oh, maybe I need to do some research. Uh, my doctors are suggesting this medical procedure. Um, it's good for Christians to learn more and, and learn about those things and think like, okay, it's good for us to know how to, how to find the answers and, and, and know more information. Um, but now we have this thing called the internet that brings so much information that it also complicates things. So uh, Proverbs 25, 2, someone have their Bibles, want to read that? And someone else want to turn to Proverbs 23, 23? Ah, so, so thanks, Des. The, so God, there's things that are hidden. There's information that God has because he knows everything. And so it's, it's a good thing for a king or a human to also discover them, for lack of a better term. That brings glory to God. So when Benjamin Franklin discovers that there's electricity in lightning, well, God has always known that there's electricity in lightning. And now all of a sudden, humans know it. And that's a really cool thing. Um, someone have Proverbs 23, 23? They could read. Kathy? Get wisdom, get instruction, get understanding. Buy truth and don't sell it. So Christians, we, we have to learn things. It's a good thing to learn things and know things. So it's really good for people to have careers where they spend all their time looking in microscopes or reading books. That, that's, those are really good things. So we, we sh it's very, very good thing for Christians to acquire more information and stay informed. Um, Christians are called to seek the information needed to live holy lives. So 1 Corinthians 10.31 talks about whatever we do, whether we eat it or we drink, or whatever we do, we're called to do all for God's glory. 1 Peter 1.16 talks about God commanding us to be holy for he, because he is holy, which means that we might need to sometimes do a little thinking, a little reading maybe, or something like that, to figure out like what, what do I need to know to obey those commands? So there's a place for that. But, someone want to turn to Ecclesiastes 12.12 12 for me? Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. 
Christians will never be able to know everything in this life. They, and actually, truthfully, you'll never be able to know anything, everything in eternity. You'll always be learning every day. Learning something new about God. He's infinite, but we're finite, so we'll never be able to outrun him in a sense. What's Ecclesiastes 12.12 12 say? Brooke. Oh, okay, yeah. The making, I think other translations say like the making of books, there is no end. Meaning like you, you'll never finish, you'll never be able to read all the books. You'll never have all the information. Um, my wife is, has enjoyed reading books by George Eliot lately and there's this character in one of the books He's a, pa he's a pastor. He's really not a good guy. And he's doing all this research. And he's, and he's accumulating all this information for writing books. But he never gets around to writing. He's just always reading more and taking notes, preparing to write, preparing to write. Finally, his wife, who's kind of like the heroine of the story, um, is like, let's finally get you to writing. And then he has a heart attack and is dead. So... Um, and I think you're supposed to kind of be happy. He's dead. Um, he's not really a good guy. But Christians will never be able, you just, you won't be able to read all the books. So sooner or later, you have to make decisions. So which means, this, and this is really freeing for us. We're called to walk by faith even as we seek to be informed. Okay? So this is really freeing. There's times where you do, do need to, to know some information. But you don't need to know everything. And that's an opportunity for you to say, okay, I'm trusting you, God. You're in control of my life. I'm seeking to obey you. I'm, I want to do the right thing. You know um, my heart here in this. I'm gonna, and I'm going to walk forward trusting that you know what's good and, uh, or not. So when I, when, the first time I had cancer, I could do some research into chemotherapy online. Well, how much was enough? Did I need to look up every single drug that they were going to give me? Did I need to look up the history of each of those drugs? Or was it enough to know, like, oh, there's going to be some side effects from this? And, and some people are going to want way more information than others in certain things. Um, but in the end, sooner or later, we're, we're not going to have all the information. Christy, yeah. yeah really yeah, yeah, you need there. <clears throat> and it's a great it's a great situation. And so at, medical ethics is really complicated, actually. When I had cancer the first time, I was like, okay, so if. Uh, if chemo doesn't work, then there's radiation after, right, right. I'm like, so what if radiation doesn't work? My doctor goes, well, then we harvest stem cells. This was pretty, pretty early in the stem cell debate where most of them were coming from fetuses. And I remember just praying, like, God, don't put me in a dilemma where I have to choose. Um, and now their stem cells have come a long ways. They don't have to harvest them from that. But it's, those things factor into decision making. Here's an important question. 
what happens when appear, it appears that there are things, such things as, and the pronunciation varies depending on which website you listen up to how to pronounce this word, adiaphora, or which is a Greek phrase for saying things indifferent, which is really important with some of the reformers, which the question was like, with worship, is it really important to have pews or chairs? What is it? What's, what's the most important? And the reality is, is we all go like, yeah, probably doesn't really matter to the worship environment. But then it starts, then, but what, here's the problem with using that phrase, indifferent things. It can, it can start to seem like, well, maybe God just doesn't care about some things. But God does care about everything. So Genesis 1.29, can someone read that for me? So I don't think there are indifferent things, and I'm going to tell you why that's actually a good thing and a free, it should be a very freeing thing. Do you have it there, Wayne? Isn't that obvious what I'm trying to get at there? No. So here's what, I'm, here's what he's saying. So God in the garden says, here's all these plants, trees you can eat from. You can eat from all of them. It's, except for one, which, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. You can eat from all these trees out there. And so does, does, do Adam and Eve have to go, boy, you know, like it, pears sound really good today. And but so are peaches. Oh, and there's berries? Like, what am I going to... Does God not care which one I choose now? Well, actually, he does care. And it does matter. But because it's an available choice that God has made up for you, it's going to be a good choice. Okay, so here's what I mean. So things aren't indifferent. If you're choosing between chair, the choice you choose between chairs or pews, if a, ch- a church chooses them, if that's the only thing involved in the, in the decision-making, not money, not whatever, it, you're going to make a good choice. God is going to be pleased with your choice. God is going to, was pleased with Adam and Eve every time they chose any fruit they ate, except for one. So that means that when you go to a restaurant, and the menu is there, and it, there's so many choices, Whatever choice you choose, if it's something God has offered to you, it's to be a good gift. It's, you're free to do it. You're free to take different routes home from church. God's pleased with those decisions. So, there, so it's, not, it's not just that God doesn't care. It's that God it cares and is pleased with you trusting him and making those decisions of things that seem indifferent. They're actually good choices. You're being a human the way he made you to be. But with information, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Because this is really important in our information age. There are conspiracy theories aplenty. There always have been, there always will be. How should Christians think about them? Well, we should think biblically, yeah. 
Christians should be, beware their sources of information. Someone want to read, I think it's the middle of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not. Wanna, it's going to rattle off some sort of people that shouldn't be listened to. The beginning of Psalm 1. Mm. So, a blessed man is careful with who he listens to, or a blessed woman. So, when I hear people that get really enamored with conspiracy theories and amazingly Christians, I guess not amazingly, get drawn into them, you need to know who you're listening to. If they're scoffers, if, they're, if they are intentional sinners, people who continue to persist in lifestyles of sin and unbelief, you shouldn't bother too much listening to them. So I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. And I, I had uh, a Facebook friend of mine I grew up playing golf with. He's from Moscow. He's always posting just, he's an atheist, just attacks on Christianity. I was just thinking, oh, like, and every, every, they would, and they would just fill up online. And after a while, I realized, like, wait a second, every time I'm reading these, I'm sitting in the seat of scoffers. Um, so I snoozed him or whatever it is you did. So that's the first thing. You need to know where your information is coming from because we're talking about ethically, we need information to make good decisions. Here's a very important one for Christians as well. Proverbs 10, 18, slander is a sin. If people are telling lies about Tom Hanks or politicians, about some underground cabal that are doing all these hideous things, horrible things, and there's not real proof, and you're perpetuating that, you're sinning. You're lying. So... Conspiracy theories should not, be should not be informing you as a Christian. Christians are called to love the truth. Okay? The actual truth. So people get drawn into like conspiracy theories because they're like really exciting. Government, it's got all this. Do you really know what's going on in Area 51? I'm going to tell you what I think is going on in Area 51. Do I have any evidence? Of course not. But I'm going to tell you. And I'm gonna, I want you to believe what I believe. Well, Christians, we're called to, to love the truth. Which means if there's no information for us, we should try to find that information. If we don't have access to that information, we shouldn't be advancing theories. Christians are called to reject the secret or hidden knowledge of Gnosticism. So in the Really, Gnosticism came about a little after Christianity, but early Christians were, were, were dealing with what, what they would call proto-Gnosticism, and that's gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. But a lot of, a lot of these religions, really religion and philosophy melded together in, in the first and second centuries. And the whole point was 
you weren't saved by having Jesus as your Savior. You were saved by having the right hidden knowledge that only a select few had access to. In the book of Colossians, basically, Paul is, blows that whole thing up. Because he says, Christ, all the fullness of knowledge and wisdom is found in Jesus. So if you've got Jesus, you've got all the knowledge. And you don't need to find the secret knowledge that you keep hidden from everybody else. But that's what conspiracy theories are. Like, if you have our hidden knowledge, then, then you're in the real know. Then you, you'll listen to QAnon or whoever. Now, the sheer number of conspiracy theories that are out there, it shouldn't surprise us if every once in a while one of them stumbles onto the truth. As an old uh, golf pro that I used to play golf with from Tennessee would say, every once in a while a blind hog finds an acorn. So if you, if you make up, if there's 500 conspiracy theories out there, there's a chance that one of them's gonna be true. But probably not, but not based on accurate information. It's just, for lack of a better term, luck. They just happen to, to line up with reality. So here, here's how I will help you identify conspiracy theories. The biggest one, a huge clue is when a lack of evidence is considered evidence of its truth. So people say, oh, there's all these, um, uh, there's actually reptile, it's actually reptile people running our country. Most politicians are actually these secret reptile people. Sounds ridiculous. Real theory. Real people out there believe that. You say, well, we've, every autopsy we've ever done on a human being, they've been humans. See, exactly. Because th that's how you know that there's reptile people, because we haven't found any of them yet. So, so a lack of evidence is taken as evidence of the truth. That's, that's a hallmark of conspiracy theory. And then, I don't know if any of you have ever read Machiavelli, the prince, he has this, is this idea that has really resonated with me when he talks about how princes or kings should not be afraid of conspiracies. And here's why. He says, a conspirator has everything to gain by exposing the truth. Okay? Let me give you an example. You, have, you are part of a secret society, and um, you're, you're going to try to, I don't know, uh, assassinate a president. Well, here's the thing. If you come forward and you're part of that conspiracy, you have everything to gain by it, by exposing it. One, you will not go to jail. Two, you'll probably be famous in our culture. And you'll be able to write books, make money. You might get promoted. You might actually get a job based on your honesty. So, you, so Christians, you don't need to be afraid of conspiracies, okay? The, do some of them exist here and there on small scales? Probably. But you, you don't need to be afraid of, of them because God is sovereign over all of them and people are going to want to come out and expose the truth sooner or later. Um, but this comes into, when we're making ethical decisions, if we back up a little bit, is this idea of how do we make choices? What's the right choice when things are hard? And we get into probability and risk and these sorts of things. 
So using probability, you can basically use facts sometimes to make decisions. So a doctor says, hey, I'm going to prescribe to you this medicine for your rheumatoid arthritis. Okay? Um, you learn some facts about it, and he says, okay, well, should I take this, doctor? I, I'm noticing one of the side effects is sometimes it, it causes cancer. And they, and they usually could say, well, yeah, it causes cancer in about one-tenth of one percent of people. So there is a risk. I'm not going to say you couldn't possibly get it. But then you can use that to say, well, okay, yeah, maybe it is the right decision for me to take this medicine for my arthritis. You can use your existing knowledge. You have some data, and then based on that, you can try to start to make the best choice. So today I was leaving to come down here, and I was driving down Nevada Street, and then I, I made it about two blocks, and I'm like, oh wait, Allie told me that Hamilton Street is closed. So I've got some, some data that impacts my decision making. I'm like, oh, I need to get over to Division and make it down here. Well, with ethical decisions, we can start to do that too. We could say like, I know I've got these children in my car. I know that this corner coming up is a really dangerous corner. And I, need, I have a job as a Christian to protect life, do what I can to protect life. So I'm going to slow down. Based on previous experience and knowing that there's a, we were in Montana, there's crosses everywhere on the side of the road um, from fatalities. Like, okay, I'm going to be careful here through this stretch. That data can factor into your decision making. God wants you to use that. But then afterwards, sometimes we'll evaluate decisions people made and say, like, was that the right decision? Was that a good choice or a bad choice? And we can look at the outcome. Sometimes things that seem really risky aren't. Like, oh, I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous about doing this, that, or the other. Um, and then you look back and you say, like, well, the worst that would have happened. You know, maybe it's a, you're going to write a zip line. Is this really risky? And then you, you do the research afterwards. You're like, oh, wait, like, those cables could hold 50 times how much I weigh and all the, the safety inspections with OSHA are there. That actually wasn't that risky. Um, so what we do need to think about as Christians trying to make the right decision is did we do some element of our due diligence beforehand? Did you at least try to think about is this the right thing? Is, what's the result? Did, was there information that was easily accessible, but uh, I just ignored it, and now I'm paying the consequences for it? Uh, things like that. But here's a good question for all, all of us, especially in our culture. Should we always minimize risk in ethics? Is a, is a good decision always the one that has the least amount of risk? Not necessarily. One is, it's impossible to avoid risk because we're finite. We don't know everything. We can't avoid everything, every harm that's going to come our way. We can't avoid sometimes hurting people through our actions. We just didn't, because we just don't know everything, the long-term ramifications of things. The decisions we make are often a trade-off between certain things we have, we know we need to do, and things we don't know. So you know, um, for example, let's see if I can think one through. Um, 
you know that you have a responsibility to stay in the right lane of traffic. But every once in a while, there's, there are going to be exceptions to that. Is, it, is, there a, is there a benefit sometimes to passing the semi on the highway? Yeah, but it's risky. There's costs. What's the payoff? I watched, when we were coming back from Montana, I watched this truck. Like I was, I think the speed limit was 70. I was going, the minivan doesn't always like to go 70 on windy roads. So I was probably going like 67. And this truck goes blasting by me, probably going 85. And I'm kind of getting kind of nervous, and they get ahead of me. And then I'm driving, and we kind of go around a couple more corners. And then all of a sudden, it turns off on this driveway about, I don't know, saving about 10 seconds of time. And I thought, that didn't really, that was a pretty big risk for that little benefit, being oncoming traffic. Um, but we don't always know that. The, and this is a, the middle one's a huge one for us as Christians. There's times where we can take risks that it's not good to impose on others. So it might be right for you to go downtown um, ministering to the homeless people who have mental illness. That might be a really good thing for you to do. But, it, but sometimes if they get violent, it might be better, you, it still might be good for you, but you may not want to impose that on somebody else. So we, we have to be patient with one another, thoughtful of one another. Um, all risk is going to depend on what else we have going on in our lives. There's always a good versus bad outcome versus what's the benefit versus cost. So risk versus reward. Sometimes there's very low risk, big rewards. You want to take those. So someone says, hey, if you apply for this job, 99% chance you'll get hired. Well, that is a 1% risk of rejection. You know, nobody likes to be rejected. But the benefit is really high, and the likelihood is really high of actually getting a job. So that's a risk you're probably going to be more willing to, to make. Um, and being informed, there's a difference between selfless moral heroism and selfish foolhardiness. Sometimes people are like, wow, that was really brave. That guy did that. It's like, no, actually, it's just really stupid. <laughs> and things, and God protected him. Like, there is a difference. And there's, there's chances where sometimes we do things that seem really brave that God would be like, I'm not really actually pleased with that. Because the guy just went forward with ignorance. Um, but when it comes to God's kingdom, let me say this as we're ask, answering that question, should we always minimize risk and ethics? John Piper says risk is ripe. When it comes to advancing God's kingdom, even if sometimes it puts our lives in danger, that's probably the right decision. Now, again, there's other factors that come into this. If, um, if you have a choice between sharing the gospel with your neighbor who's right here or this, this convicted serial killer who invites you over for dinner, like the risk is probably better to talk to your neighbor. Hopefully they're not the same person. Uh, all right, so now here's some choices. I want us to think about what are factors... Got a brain tumor there. 
what information might be good to know as to whether you should have surgery or not? Go, go ahead, Lisa. Would you second? Location of it, okay. Where in the brain is it? Gladys, what were you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. There's all these sorts of factors start to. Um, what other factors might be important when you're thinking about brain tumor? Other other effects. What will what will happen? Maybe they get the tumor out, but they're, they're the likelihood is you're going to be blind, paralyzed from the neck down. What about your age? I mean, if it's a uh, um, if it's a 22-year-old college student, that might be different than if it's a 97-year-old uh, person who's been in assisted living for the last six or seven years. Um, so those sorts of things will factor into making an, a good ethical decision. Uh, whether I, a lot of these are the are the people Christians or not start to factor in to, um, could be self-defense. Should you ride a motorcycle? What do you think? If you want broken bones, sure. if you want broken bones sp spoken like a mother there. You can ride a motorcycle. You, that, that's a good, that's, I think God would say that's a good choice. But there might be circumstances that factor into your decision making. If you, I, we have, we have numerous doctors that are members at GCF, and a couple of them call them organ donor sleds. Because they've seen so many people come in dead. Um, so maybe it's different, again, on your age and your responsibilities. If you're 65, kids are all grown. You, you and your wife like to go on cru you know, cruising on the weekends, that might be a little different than if you're 35, have four kids at home. Should you eat that burger? It's got, it's got bacon, it looks like some onions, an egg, cheese. Yes. Wayne, Wayne says yes. Eat that burger. Ah, it could. It could. Yeah. What about your weight? What about if the, um, for a lot of people, they'd say, well, where did this beef come from? We're, uh, we're called to steward God's creation. And there's Christians that have good reasons for saying, I'm really opposed to meat that's raised in stockyards. That's just basically animal slavery in a sense. So those sorts of things might factor in. But you may not want to, so you may not want to ask the question. If you really want that burger, you may not, um, you may not want to know where the meat's come, meat comes from. And Paul has an example of that actually about food offered to idols in 1 Corinthians 8. So you can see where different Christians might come to different should Christians, and I think this is a picture of Christians in India, if I remember correctly, should they protest 
their quote-unquote human rights. I think they were being persecuted by uh, primarily Hindu government. Is it good for Christians to do that? Yeah, I, I think that God is pleased if there, for a legal, there's a legal avenue for that. But it could entail some risk. If they're, if they're already getting attacked and they recognize someone drives by and says, okay, it's a green lady wearing green with a green scarf. It might put the target on your back or your family too. Put your family at risk. Those things start to factor into your decision making. Should you discipline your child? Yes. Does that mean parents always do a perfect job disciplining their kids? Des does. And I can tell by the way they're sitting there, Des, that that's a true statement. So, how is she, dis you know, here's, here's a number of questions that start to come up. How is she disciplining? Is she just, does all she care about is having a child who complies? Regardless of what's going on with her heart? What, what's she being disciplined for? Maybe the child wasn't even sinning. You see how things can get complicated and why we need to be people of faith. Some say, God, I'm gonna, God, help me. Is it a sin to smoke? Not according to Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. He, someone, he, he loved to smoke cigars, and someone from America came in and said that smoking is a sin, and Spurgeon said, you know, I have a hard enough time keeping the Ten Commandments. I don't know that we need to add an eleven. Now, think about this. Early on in cigarettes, what did doctors say about them? That it was good for you. So might our place in history cause us to have maybe a different outlook on cigarettes than previous generations? It should. We now know, statistically, one in three people who smoke are gonna die of, of something related to smoking. Does that mean it's a sin? I'm with Spurgeon, I'd probably say no. I don't, when I see members and encounter them smoking, I don't think like, oh, you gotta stop that. Never think that. But is it wise? No. So don't start smoking, kids. Don't do it. It's a waste of money. It's really irresponsible use of money. Um, Should, should young women, is it good for young women to have jobs? How young? What's the job? What other duties do they have in their lives? What are the demands? Is she married? Isn't she married? Do they have kids? All of these things can start to factor into, is this the right decision or not? But it, I think generally speaking, it's, we need to be careful making rules where the Bible doesn't make rules. So yeah, women, women can work. But if I'm thinking, okay, if she's a single mom, that makes a lot of sense that she's working. If she has two little kids in daycare and her husband's making six figures easily, I might think, 
do you, do you need to work when you could have, be spending your time raising your kids at home? Is there a choice? It could be a conscience decision. Yeah. 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 So we don't know. The this bottom picture is the charge of the light brigade. Anybody heard of the charge of the light brigade? British, British history. Yeah. What do, do you know? The, and there's a famous poem about it too. Do, Gladys, do you know the story? Yeah. So the light brigade, the charge of the light brigades is this this poem that glamorizes the light brigade attacking um, troops that were far superior. And basically, what happened was there's a huge miscommunication. They were sent to battle against the wrong part of an army. They were supposed to kind of like sneak around, and well, they get the signal and they go and attack, and they continue once more into the breach. Again and again, and the question was, and, the, and, and analysts since then have said, well, that was just stupid. The commanders endangered their, their, all their troops, and they should have realized right away that this was not the circumstances that they were called to do. Um, they, needed more, they should have had more information, and they should have been willing to kind of um, lead and change their mind sometimes. Is it good to smuggle Bibles into a country? Christy says yes. What, what factors might factor into this decision making? What if it was a, a book that, uh, of religion that wasn't the Bible? Okay. Well, that's a complicated one. We'll, we'll talk about, well, let's leave it at the Bible because we're running out of time. What country is it? If you're smuggling Bibles into the US, you're breaking the law. We've got Bibles. It's legal to have the Bible here. You can, you're, 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 you're basically stealing. You're smuggling. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is, but, but if you're in a country where they're going to burn every Bible that gets in, it might be the right thing to do. Take that risk. What Piper would say is, is right. It depends. Um, is it okay to own a gun? What country do you live in factors into that? What kind of gun are we talking about, maybe? I was on the way, on the way down Francis. There's, uh, so when I think of guns, I think of hunting rifles, which are a lot different than what are called assault rifles. As I was driving down Hamilton, Double Eagle Pond, maybe one of you will go buy this, is selling uh, some brand of 9mm Gatling gun right now. And I thought, hmm, don't think I need a Gatling gun. Uh, is it? Yeah, oh yeah. So, all kinds of things factor into these decision making. How secure, do you have a home, if you have a home security system, maybe you don't need a gun. If you're mentally challenged, probably not. You need to think, if you're suicidal. 
Yeah, if you're a criminal, you better not. So all these things, should you be a nurse? What are, what factors into that? What sort of nurse are you gonna be? We have a, a member here at the Central Campus who's a nurse, loves being a nurse. Um, she's from Canada. And she loves being on the labor and delivery floor here in America. In Canada, she can't. Because if you're gonna be a labor and delivery nurse, you have to participate in abortions. So she says, I've gotta be a nurse in a different part of the hospital then. And so you can see how far reaching sometimes, knowing when we have information, it starts to influence, is this the right decision or not? And we need to know some of them, but we're never gonna know everything. <clears throat> There's always risk involved. And when we choose things, maybe to protest, maybe to work, maybe to eat the burger, maybe to ride motorcycles that are, that are God-given options, God is pleased. God's pleased with them when we make informed options. And even if they backfire, even if someday it leads to the heart attack or the wreck or whatever, God can still be pleased with those. And so we don't need to live in fear. Um, all right, let me pray because we're running out of time. Lord, thank you that you, in your word, tell us so much that's good. We're thankful that you give us, uh, you've brought us to a place in, in life and in history where we have access to information. We pray that we would never let it paralyze us from trusting you or making decisions. We're thankful that you can help us on the way, that we can ask you for help as we make decisions and we can trust you. Uh, we pray that you would do that this week. We pray that you would do that in the coming minutes as we try to welcome new people and, um, and engage with one another and most of all worship you. Would you help us to hear from you, Lord? That's really what we need as we try to make ethical decisions is to hear from you. So help us to hear from you in the in the next hour and a half or so. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, buddy.